Dr. Darren Markland uh, is a doctor down at the Royal Alec Hospital. Uh, he works in the ICU there, and uh, he's been a frequent guest on our show. And uh, he got a lot of attention this weekend with, uh, with a tweet that came out. I'll just read it for you. After a lovely hiatus, I am saddened to report that COVID-19 has returned to our ICU. Our patient is young and was healthy. They are now very sick and on a ventilator. We'll take excellent care of them. But what happens next is up to you. I think it caught a lot of people's attention this weekend when that tweet came out, Chelsea. Yeah, I think so. I think for the last few weeks, we've kind of thought, well, maybe we're done with this. And we all want to get back to normal as much as we can. And I think ignore the fact that COVID still exists, you know, out there. So something like this, I think, yeah, was not something that a lot of people wanted to hear, wanted no. to read. Um, so let's just talk about, you know, where, where we're currently at with the virus and what safety measures we still need to keep in mind. Uh, Dr. Markland, thanks so much for making the time. We appreciate it as always. Oh, it's a pleasure. So doctor, I mean, uh, and I know we're going to get text right racing. One case in the ICU. Come on. Mm-hmm. It's a city of a million point two people. One case we need to calm down. Um, is that a fair argument? Oh, I, I think we are actually really calm. Um, this is expected. Like part of the relaunch is knowing that people will catch the virus. It's still out there. Um, and we know that people don't have immunity to this. So this is all part of the the calculations. So people will catch it. Um, and But the whole point of the shutdown was to build resources and an infrastructure that allows us to put out the fires before mm-hmm. they spread and get out of control. So the ICU is one of the markers for whether or not we transition to a watched city. And, uh, you know, I myself was really looking forward to summer too. And I figure, you know, I am constantly aware of what's going on. The reason I just brought this to people's attention is human nature. We all kind of want to move on and get be done with this, but we're not done, and my awareness should be shared with everybody else out there. Definitely. And I think something to keep in mind, too, Doctor, is that we talk about you know the fact that we don't want anyone to to die from this or end up in the ICU. But it's also the fact that, you know, even if you do get it and you recover, there could still be some long lasting health effects. It's not just as cut and dry as we just want to save lives. It's just about minimizing the spread because you don't want to get this and have to live with it afterwards. It's a tough virus. It's it's like a vasculitis. So when you get the flu and you get those aches and pains, that's the virus propagating and infecting everything. Uh, COVID-19 does that, but to a much more severe degree. So it, can leave these these chronic conditions and i suspect we're going to see you know a group of people who have almost like a chronic fatigue syndrome after this because it is a really really tough virus on the body yeah people reporting that they're fatigued for like a month or months afterwards i think there's some people who'll be fatigued forever afterwards it's something i prefer to stay away from and this is not scare tactics right this is part of the natural process of kind of easing back into life. Uh, in a perfect world, we could stall until we got a vaccine, but you know there are variables there too. And the whole thing has to be balanced against the fact that you know some of the other things that I see in the unit are the complications of people who haven't got their surgeries in a timely manner, or mental health disorders, or as we were talking about last time, uh, addictions right. that are out of control. So, no, not fear-mongering, but, you know, it's human nature to kind of slack off, and that's why these are midterms. This is not the final exam. 
Do you think that people are even receptive to that information, though? Because it seems to me that when we talk about the fact that it still exists or that you still need to be careful, it's just none of us want... We're resistant to it. None of us want to still be living in this state of concern. Uh, Absolutely, Chelsea. I mean, you nailed it right off the bat. We're we're tired. We're done with this. We want to move on with our lives. And I've seen a lot of that. Um, and, And I think that's fair. But our lives are different. Um, they'll be continually different until there's a, a vaccine for it. We're actually enrolling people in trials. There's more evidence that we can treat this now. But, you know, the, the fundamental things apply. Wear your mask when you go out in public. There is really good evidence for it now. Wash your hands. Reduce your contact. These things are all going to be the primary things that keep us healthy. Yeah, you talk about reducing the contact. We're seeing the story yesterday that... Um the increasing number of cases that we're seeing are largely in young people. And as you mentioned, the person that's now in ICU is a young person. So I think a lot of them have an opinion that it won't affect them. We always hear about the elderly and the ones with pre-existing conditions. But young people need to be aware that this is really starting to ramp up in that population too. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, we're all kind of in this together. And, uh, you know, you get lucky or unlucky with everything in life. And that's with the virus as well. Um, I, again, want to reiterate that, you know, getting this is not about blame. Um, you know, some people are very unlucky. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there are simple asks from the chief medical officer, and I don't think they're that hard to do. You know, we had one earlier uh, questioning um, when we mentioned that we were going to have you on and saying, can you ask the doctor about wearing a mask and the CO2? And we've seen people Mm. yelling and screaming about, you can't ask me to wear a mask, I'm breathing my own CO2. Yet we see doctors like you wearing them for eight-hour shifts. Can you just talk about the safety of wearing a mask? Because it's something we keep hearing about. Oh, it's absolutely safe. Uh, But there are people out there who are triggered by it for other reasons. People who have histories of abuse, trauma, or violence, and I empathize with that, absolutely. But from a medical perspective, unless you have extremely bad lung disease, um, and even so, even if you do, uh, there have been studies that show that there is minimal increase in CO2. Um, A lot of this is just perception of discomfort. Hmm. Do you think that masks should be mandatory because this conversation keeps coming up and now it's kind of rearing its head again that maybe we should just just mandate that everyone wear them. Well, if you say that, then you start talking about making vaccines mandatory, and we've seen how those discussions <laughs> go. The best thing to do really is to, you know, appeal to people's civility um, and kindness and empathy. Uh, and that's, you know, my wife, who's a pediatrician, is how she talks about vaccinations. These are things that we do for other people. They're not for us. And this is why it's always a challenging topic, because, you know, empathy is quantifiable. Um, People get tired, people get worn out. And I think that's the reason why we've got to be really careful about what we ask for the public, because they've given us so much. Mm You got to be careful what the future asks us. So in my mind, I want people to have a great summer. And I think you can have a great summer just doing the simple things, wearing a mask, washing your hands. You know, not having huge, huge parties, not sharing food would be really helpful. But yeah, go out. You know, the businesses in Alberta have thought out very good relaunch strategies. We have the resources and testing that if this stuff happens, we'll get on it and we'll prevent the fire from getting out of control. And then, you know, if we're lucky, vaccine development has been accelerated. Maybe at the end of 2020, early 2021, 
we may have a vaccine that can kind of set things back on their original track. You mentioned that you're seeing some success in treating it. Um, What are you guys finding can help in terms of a patient that ends up in in your ward? Well, it's funny. I don't know if you ever drive into the city uh, from the West End, but there's actually a a big factory there called Gilead, and they make a drug called remdesivir in our city. Oh, really? (laughs) Actually, really good evidence that in people, not in ICU settings, but in people who have on oxygen who have COVID-19, that this drug can reduce the duration of symptoms yeah, and the severity it. of it. Uh, there's a worldwide shortage, but we keep joking that maybe one day at night we'll storm the gates and <laughs> see if we can get them. <laughs> Build up a stockpile. Hey, yeah. you, mentioned, you mentioned sharing food. Uh, with the new rules in terms of people getting together and you can have gatherings of up to 50 inside and 100 outside and stuff like that, you know that's going to be a thing. Why is that a problem and how can you prevent the spread of COVID when it comes to sharing food? Oh, it's super tough. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen these dye studies where they put dye on, you know, the fluorescein dye on something and Mm -hmm. then they let people go at it and Mm -hmm. everybody gets covered. Uh, Sharing food is really tough. Uh, It just happens. And, you know, you throw a little alcohol in and people get all handsy and then the next thing, all the best intentions go out the window. Right. So, you know, I'm, I actually have to host a little party for our ICU fellows. And I, I spent hours with my wife figuring out the best way to do that because if I infect all of our intensive care staff, we're in trouble. So, you know, single servings, uh, you know, what we do is we have a little hibachi. So, you know, you grill the food right there so that it's all single serving. Uh, but sharing food is is high risk. I won't say don't do it, but that's a significant risk factor for spread. Okay, doctor. Thanks so much for making the time. We always appreciate your perspective. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. Thanks, doc. Take care. Dr. Darren Markland is an intensive care doctor at uh, the Royal Alex. Okay, so (laughs) remain diligent. Be careful. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's like the doc said, it's not like we're asking you to really do anything too severe uh put on a mask if you're going out wash your hands and and keep a six foot distance when possible i mean really is that that much to ask if we can all go back to um living otherwise fairly normal lives and the economy can operate the way it typically does like it's not a huge ask i mean we're not asking you to stay home 24 7 anymore no but it is you know as he mentioned it's human nature i think you know after being told for so many months and living in this place of uncertainty for so many months i mean it's understandable that we all just kind of want to say no i don't want i don't want to follow the rules i just want to get back to normal we're all desperate for it and so it's not i think that people are going out and being you know bad members of the community and you know intentionally wanting to not be safe I think it's just human nature to just want to just just go back to normal and not have to follow any of these safety protocols. But yeah, we're not we're not out of the woods yet, and so it's nice to get that reminder. Um, did you see this company in Germany that's that's made this device, Jay, called the Distancer? No, what is it? So it could this could help you kind of follow those rules, I guess, in terms of social distancing. Um, some companies are using this thing. It's kind of like a pager device. You wear it around your neck. It looks like an old school pager. Yeah. And it beeps when you're within six feet of someone and then um, like beeps more if you're in prolonged contact with them. So (laughs) it's a super annoying device that makes you forces you to keep your distance from people. 
I don't know if it's something that we're going to adopt here or if they'll even continue to keep using it in Germany, but it's being used in some companies there. Just to kind of give you an idea of, you know, what six feet really feels like. Yeah, and I don't think we really know. I'll look no. at people that are chatting and they've got a little distance, but I'm kind of looking and like, I'm six four, and I'm thinking, could I lie down in between those two people? Not a chance. You should start doing that. <laughs> <I> when you <laughs> see people. Okay. It's the Ganem rule. <laughs> Ryan just sent us a text. He says, I will wear a mask if I cannot maintain physical distancing with people outside my cohort. I will not wear a mask just because I'm outside. I will not wear a mask when I drive around alone in my vehicle. I will not wear a mask because someone across an entire park is yelling at me because they think uh, of themselves to do what's right. Uh, you know what? You're, 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 that's perfect. That's the rule. Um, socially distance and when you can't wear a mask. Hmm. That's a, that's all it is. Nobody says you have to be wearing one when you're driving around in your vehicle or anything. It's just if you're going into a store or something like that where physical distancing is going to be a tough thing for you to do, throw on a mask. That's it. That's all they're asking. Yeah, and you know, and this this other texter here, you know, kind of commenting on what I was saying. I don't know that people are necessarily are intentionally going out trying to be rebellious. This person says BS. There's a particular type who does defy this stuff. Yeah, you're there you're is. right. There is. I would like to assume that those people are in the small minority. I think they are. I think they are. I mean, they're noisy and they, they attract a lot of attention and, you know, they stand up on their soapbox and, and yell and scream about it. Uh, but yeah, I think you're right. I think they're in the minority. Let's hope so anyways. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.